Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. You alone are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Good afternoon, friends. Merry Christmas. Man, it is good to be here with you this afternoon. After all that we've been through uh, over the last several years and are still going through, here we are to celebrate the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Never has living through another year and simply showing up felt like such an accomplishment <laughs> as it does this year. Uh, one of the results, at least for me over the last few years, is that Christmas and the Christmas season has become less sentimental, uh, more spiritual. Less about nostalgia and more about the tenacity of hope. Advent has seemed darker and longer, but Christmas has blazed brighter and warmer than ever. I think for me in years past, I would marvel at the light of Christmas um, and just delight in the spectacle, like when you come to see the winter wonder lights here at the Botanical Garden. But now I don't just marvel or delight in the spectacle. I need the light of Christmas. I need its warmth. It's splendor in the midst of the dark coldness of the night. Over the last few years, many of us have come face to face with our own mortality. I know as we gather tonight, this afternoon, many have reason for grief. And you're carrying that with you as you come into church or as you uh, gather online with us today. Uh, even now, folks are ill. Uh, things are, are still not going according to plan or the way we would like it. Life is fleeting and fragile. And in light of all this, the, the vulnerability of a baby lying in a manger uh, doesn't just seem unwise, but full of scandalous risk. Yet what a gift. What an incredible gift we have in the Lord Jesus. And haven't you been reminded that every day is a gift? That God's goodness permeates and sustains all of life? As our illusions of control have been slowly stripped away in these pandemic years, we're left with the comforting reminder that God is in control and that he is good. It's also reminded us that God's ways are strange and mysterious. Well, we would have learned that just by this baby lying in a manger. And that's what we have before us today, the chance to, to ponder, to marvel, to, to adore the strange, mysterious ways of our good and beautiful God, because today uh, we get to go to Bethlehem. We get to travel again. We're invited to gather around the manger with awe and reverence, just to think about this gift that has come down to us. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, we've been waiting through Advent, preparing for this day, and now the waiting is over. Those who walked in darkness are bathed in glorious light. Some of you may know the British uh, Victorian poet, Christina Rossetti. Uh, she once wrote that Christmas hath a beauty lovelier than the world can show. For Christmas bringeth Jesus brought for us so low. Christmas bringeth Jesus brought for us so low. Uh, that's what I want to think about today for a little bit. As we gather to celebrate the humble strange, mysterious rescue operation of God Almighty who sent Jesus brought for us so low. In that gift, God himself extends favor and peace 
Uh, peace to people who have done nothing to deserve it and probably everything to forfeit it. And he gives that through this holy infant child. And we're just called to, to ponder, to marvel, to contemplate the baby in the manger. And so we'll look at this fairly familiar passage in Luke chapter 2, specifically focusing on the curious method and the glorious message of God's redemption story. Uh, this Christmas gift for you and me in Bethlehem. So first, God's curious method, Luke 2, uh, 1 through 7. Um, you may know that in the, in the Holy Scriptures, there are four major accounts of the life, ministry, and importance of Jesus of Nazareth. They're found in the New Testament, uh, and they're called Gospels. Each one has its own energy and emphasis. For example, uh, the Gospel of John tells the story of the birth of Jesus from the perspective of heaven's throne room. Uh, John wants to make sure we realize that the crying infant in the makeshift crib was divinity in diapers. John 1, verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's astonishing that we actually believe that the, in the person of Jesus, God came to dwell among us, came helpless, vulnerable, fully God and fully man for us and for our salvation. Luke, our gospel today, Luke, on the other hand, has his sandals firmly planted on the ground. Luke 2 begins in this messy world of politics and power. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Caesar, the Roman leader, this, this pagan leader gives his orders and everyone is expected to obey immediately. I'm sure they didn't want to. I'm guessing that's not what Joseph would have liked to have done. But he had to grab his, you know, going to have a baby any day pregnant, fiance Mary, pack her onto this noble donkey and make his way from Nazareth to Bethlehem. I'm sure he would have rather hunkered down in Nazareth Nothing has been going according to plan for Joseph up until this point, and it just keeps going sideways. Even by the time he arrives, things aren't the way he would like it. We're, we're reminded Joseph, well, he's not in control. There's a mandate, and he must comply. But Caesar Augustus, he's not as in control as he thinks Caesar either. God's in control. His plan is unfolding right before us. Uh, Bishop N.T. Wright, one of my favorite authors, says the point Luke is making is clear. The birth of this little boy is the beginning of a confrontation between the kingdom of God and all its apparent weakness, insignificance, and vulnerability and the kingdoms of this world. What a curious method. Why would in the world would God Almighty mount a rescue operation within and through an infant child? I mean, think about it by way of contrast. Uh, the invasion of Normandy, World War II, D-Day. The United States and the Allies mobilized 150,000 troops, 7,000 ships, 4,100 landing crafts, and there were 12,000 aircrafts in the sky giving support. That makes sense to us, right? Because on D-Day, the U.S. And, and her allies are confronting a great evil, a mighty foe. So they use everything and everyone they could think of for the hope and the chance of victory. Well, what does God do here? He doesn't send in troops and tanks and it doesn't have air support. He sends in a baby. 
for the truest assault on all the evil the world has ever known. And so we come to verse 7 of Luke 2. And she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. They had complied. They had gone to Bethlehem to be registered. But they had come to a crowded guest house with no room. Or maybe this is one of Joseph's relatives. And they're so poor, they just don't even have a guest room. There's no room for them. Um, friends outside, you know what that's like today. <laughs> We're a little tight here in the day chapel. Um, but so Mary and Joseph, they, they find, you know, a, a back room that withdraw to a stable at the back of the house, maybe a cave, some kind of a makeshift area or a basement where animals are kept. And that's where Mary gives birth. A very real, very visceral birth. And they lay this child in a hard feeding trough for animals to serve as his crib. Can you imagine the one John calls the bread of life laid in a feeding trough, usually for you know, straw and hay, for animals to feed on, but here he comes for us. How simple and bare. What a strange way to save the world and confront all that's ever been wrong, all that's wrong in you and me. What a curious way to save us. And of course, we aren't left to interpret this mystery for ourselves. Uh, Luke wants to make sure we get the point. He, he gives us plenty in this chapter to, to help us just get our heads a little bit around this mysterious, glorious thing. So I just want to talk a little bit about God's glorious message in the rest of Luke 2, verses 8 through 20, that uh, beautiful long passage we read. Because in verse 8, we meet this group of shepherds. They're out in the field. They're watching over their flock. By the time we get to verse 9, they're terrified. And they have good reason to be scared. Angels have appeared in the sky. The glory of God blazes all around them. Look at the thundering message of the angel. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He says, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. You get that that's a sign because that's not normally where babies end up. <laughs> you don't usually see them wrapped in these clothes and lying in a manger. That baby and, and the manner of the presentation of the child is the sign, confirming this glorious message of the angels that the long-awaited Savior has finally been born. And it calls for loud worship, hearty praise. Uh, even one angel can't do it justice. And so a whole heavenly choir appears and fills the skies and glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace. Peace with God, peace with one another, true peace, true redemption that only God can bring has come. What incredibly good news. The terror of these shepherds is natural, but it gives way to joy and hope as they run off to see what God has done. They see his love on display. Uh, one of my favorite contemporary pastors is Tim Keller. He was the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City for a long time. Here's what he says the, the gospel is, this good news of great joy. He says, here's the gospel. You're more sinful than you ever dared believe and more loved than you ever dared hope. That's what we see, the love of God for you and for me, the good news. And I, I do want to make that clear because it's so tempting to just keep God at arm's length. 
to write off that entire story of Luke 2 as a, a Christmas card or maybe as a Hallmark movie. And to an extent, I, I get that. I mean, sometimes God seems like jolly old Saint Nick, right? Grandfatherly, distant, only showing up maybe once a year. His system seems pretty fair. If you're good, you get goodies. If you're bad, you get coal. And if that's your image of God, then your version of God keeps a list, checks it twice, gives you what you deserve. But that's not what we find in Luke 2. That's not what we find in the scriptures. Here we find that this baby comes to the least, the lost, the lonely, these shepherds and a frightened young mother and these weary travelers under a Roman boot. In the midst of that darkness and uncertainty and confusion, the world turns on its axis. Everything shifts as the word becomes flesh and makes his dwelling among us. And so these shepherds run. They run with haste, and they find the first and simplest nativity scene ever assembled. Mary, Joseph, the baby lying in a manger. And they tell them, guess what the angel said to us? And everyone is amazed. They're astonished. Verse 19 says that sweet Mary says, treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And then we're just left with an image of the shepherds exiting uh, stage left. They're moved uh, to adoration and worship. It says they're glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And honestly, that's my prayer for today. That when we wrap up everything this afternoon, that our takeaway is that we would depart uh, glorifying and praising God for all that we have heard and seen. But before we do that, just like them, just like the shepherds, we come face to face with the baby in a manger. This baby who is a sign, an invitation, a proclamation inviting our response. The message of the angel to the shepherds is a, is a message for me and for you. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, Christ the Lord. It's a familiar story. It's actually tough to, maybe the familiarity makes us kind of just go to sleep a little bit. Our minds go on autopilot as we think about this. It's tough to add to it or even to take away from it. Uh, Corey Ten Boom, who some of you may know, uh, once said, who can add to Christmas? The perfect motive is that God so loved the world. The perfect gift is that he gave his only son. The only requirement is to believe in him. And the reward of faith is that you shall have everlasting life. And so we come to this baby and, and we ask, what do we think it means? What do you think of God's curious method? And this glorious message of the angels. Have you run like these shepherds? Have you fallen at the feet of Jesus? Have you pondered all these things in your heart and given thanks for this thing which the Lord has made known to us? And the gift of the baby, the Lord Jesus. Invitation and adoration. Here all are welcomed, all are called home, all are summoned to joyful singing and hearty praise. Back to Christina Rossetti. That same poem. She says, Earth, put on your whitest Bridal robe of spotless snow, for Christmas bringeth Jesus, brought for us so low. I mentioned that that's what I've been thinking about this week, that line, Jesus brought for us so low. 
Because in this beautiful poem, we know, of course, that, that the Lord descends, becomes flesh to dwell among us, but that's just the beginning of the divine descent. Throughout his life and ministry, indeed, throughout even his death, Jesus is brought for us so low, for us and for our salvation. We see that he endures heartache and darkness, depression, the agony in the garden. He's betrayed, he's rejected, he's humiliated. We see him in pain. And then he is ultimately brought low for us when he's raised up on the cross and draws all men and women to himself before being brought low again, brought down low to the grave through the gate of death, seemingly unto hell itself. And all this he has brought for us so low. This is for you and for me before this amazing reversal begins in his resurrection when he's lifted up, finally and forever lifted up and raises us up with him so that we won't be brought low, so that we won't die forever, so that we might be born again. And so we look and see what God has done. We see what's begun in this baby lying in a manger. Oh, come, let us adore him indeed. Henry Nouwen, who is a, a Jesuit, a Catholic, says songs, good feelings, beautiful liturgies, nice Christmas presents, big dinners, and sweet words do not make Christmas. It says Christmas is saying yes to something beyond all emotions and feelings. Christmas is saying yes to a hope based on God's initiative, which has nothing to do with how I think or feel. Christmas is believing that the salvation of the world is God's work and not mine. So would you join me in praying? O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. I invite you to join me in standing.